Welcome to Tech on Deck podcast brought to you by Fidelity Investments. I'm your host, Maureen Olajars, Domain Leader, Software Engineering, and Adam Ely, Chief Information Security Officer. Each episode takes listeners inside the walls of a fintech industry. Anything from cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, cloud and crypto, to the intersection of product and technology. Tech on Deck breaks down the topics top of mind for technologists today. Plus, we'll give you insight into the exciting and challenging careers in fintech. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Tech on Deck. I'm Maureen Olajars, Head of Software Engineering at Fidelity. I wanted to share a special message with you today before we get to our special guest for this episode. Adam Ely, who's uh, typically my fun co-host, is unable to join us for today's session and we'll be catching up with him next time. In the meantime, let's move forward. I'm thrilled to be catching up with Val Harard and Val has such an interesting and unique career journey and is incredibly passionate about the work he's doing here at Fidelity. What I'd like to do is share a little bit of Val's background and then we'll get into speaking with him. So Val is the managing director of what we call Fidelity Labs, our in-house tech incubator that is building new software businesses and building leading capabilities for the industry. Our listeners might remember an episode from season one with Mona Vernon, who was the head of our Fidelity Labs at that time. In the spirit of mobility within Fidelity, Mona's taken on a different role here, but we just wanted to connect this episode back with the time that we first got introduced to Fidelity Labs back in season one. So Val, welcome to this episode and to the show overall. Um, We're excited to share your journey with our listeners. Thank you for having me, Maureen. Uh, I'm very happy to be here. All right. So Val, would be great if you could tell us a little bit about maybe your journey in Fidelity Labs and how that all started. So we just referred back to one of our episodes from season one, and Mona Vernon was one of our special guests um, as head of Fidelity Labs at the time. And the both of you met, and it's part of your story of beginning your career journey here at Fidelity. I'd like if you could share a little bit with us. Yes. So uh, as a matter of fact, Mona and I, we worked uh, closely together for years. Uh, in fact, back in 2019, um, she's the one who told me about the opportunity uh, at uh, Fidelity. Uh, we actually met at a conference and she was um, explaining to me uh, some of the stuff that she was working on uh, as an innovator at Fidelity. That really caught my attention. Consequently, Mona and I talked about uh, the possibility of me joining Fidelity, and more specifically, Fidelity Labs. Uh, I think some of the data science and technologies that they were looking at at the time was really attractive uh, to me, and uh, I decided to make the decision to join Fidelity Labs because of Mona. Excellent. So we all know Mona, and Mona can be quite persuasive. I'm glad she persisted in um, pursuing you for a career here at Fidelity. As managing director of Fidelity Labs, it would be great if you could just give us a little more background on what your job entails and how you think about that. As you mentioned before, uh, Labs is really the heart of uh, a lot of the advanced technologies that we worked on uh, at Fidelity. Uh, more specifically, our mandate is really to build new technology businesses that make uh, makes the lives of our associates and our clients uh, better. And so it's really uh, a place where if you're looking to work on uh, technology, on advanced technologies, 
if you're an innovator, if you uh, are looking to build new things, the lab is an incredible place to join. So myself and the team, uh, for example, right now, we are focusing on a lot of uh, AI work and more specifically work related to large language models. And a big part of what we do is really uh, see how we can uh, access a lot of the data that resides at Fidelity. Uh, I think uh, in the course of doing any data science work, the big piece is you typically spend about 80, 90% of your time working with data because data is really the new currency. There's a lot of talk about AI being really the electricity that's going to power a lot of businesses moving forward. But I would flip that around and say it's really uh, about data and more specifically access to high quality and accurate data. And this is one of the areas where uh, access uh, to that sort of data from a well-diversified financial services company such as Fidelity can really make a difference in terms of the type of technology and the type of AI applications that you're able to build. So Val, as we've been talking about the product that you've been working on, the areas of opportunities and things of that nature within Fidelity Labs, I know you also are passionate about what's happening in the broader Fidelity Labs. Um, can you share you know, a few other spaces uh, with the audience? Yes, no, so thanks uh, thanks for that. I mean, I think what we're working on is a small part of a larger portfolio within uh, Fidelity Labs. Uh, so there are a number of uh, startups that we have within the labs. Uh, some of them are at market. So uh, we have a uh, startup called Catchlight uh, that's intended to help advisors really find uh, potential client to help them grow their businesses. We have several more that are going to go uh, to market uh, in the coming months. Um, and so we've built a digital transfer agent uh, called Apiary um, that's about to go to market, uh, as well as uh, other capabilities that are on the drawing board. And so it's really more of a portfolio uh, approach as opposed to individual startups. Within uh, labs, we are always thinking about uh, capabilities, as I mentioned before, that go beyond just um, what you might be working on right now in terms of really working across teams in a very collaborative way to support one another across the portfolio. So it's more of a portfolio approach as opposed to individual startup uh, approach, if you will. Got it. Got it. That's great. Yeah, so Val, that's really helpful. And in a little bit, we'll pivot and start to talk about the career and tech journeys that are possible in Fidelity Labs. But I'd love to just pull on the thread here that you were talking about, a great way in thinking about the value of the depth of data that Fidelity has and how it can contribute to how we use AI. Would you mind just telling us a little bit about, you know, what surprised you most as you came here and started um, seeing the depth of that data and, and in working here? One of the things that uh, was very fascinating to me when I came to Fidelity is really the breadth and depth of the data and the care that was uh, that the firm took in really uh, storing the data across a number of the business units uh, that we have in a way in which privacy and data governance, data security were all taken into account. So whether you are speaking about the personal investing business or the workplace investing business, or Fidelity Institutional, or Fidelity Charitable, uh, or Fidelity International for that fact, the abundance of data 
uh, and the way in which the governance structure and that data was set up made it easier for us to build some of the capabilities that we were thinking about building. And so to my surprise, having worked uh, previously at fairly large institutions where um, although they are big and diversified, they really didn't have this, uh, the sort of data and the data was installed across uh, the number of decades that we have this data at Fidelity. And so um, when I first came in and we started thinking about some of the capabilities we were looking to build, it was very important for us to really do an assessment uh, in terms of, okay, we have this great idea. Well, we're we going to get high quality data to be able to build something. And so consequently, we started looking at some of the internal systems uh, within the firm. And to my surprise, uh, I would say that Fidelity is one of the companies that's done a really good job, if you will, of preserving data in a way in which it's accessible so that you can build uh, advanced uh, technologies. I've worked in the industry as a consultant. I've worked at uh, a couple of uh, fairly large uh, banks on Wall Street prior to coming to Fidelity. And what surprised me the most is really uh, the quality with which uh, the firm uh, and the care that the firm had taken in really building those sort of data repositories that would allow me to do data science. Because as I mentioned before, uh, about 80 to 90% of the time of a data scientist is around taking the data, cleaning it, making sure that uh, there's data governance and data security around the data. So being able to leverage a lot of the existing uh, infrastructure that Fidelity had built over the decades around data really made the job easier for myself and the team. I think that's great. And in there, you talked about the work that's been done and how important data governance, cleaning the data, things of that nature. You also are, are discussing um, ideas about how to bring innovation to the market. You've talked about AI, and I'm assuming both of those elements were a factor in making one of the products um, out of Fidelity Labs that you've worked on, which is called Safer. Could you tell us a little bit more about that and what it's all about? So we, with respect to Safer, uh, as you very well know, in financial services, anything that an investor, uh, and that could be a retail investor or that could be a, an institutional, so anything that the investor can either hear or see or read from a financial services uh, company is subject to some communication compliance rules. And the reason why these rules are in place is to ensure that investors are protected but the process of reviewing anything from a sales brochure to a sales presentation to even a speech that a senior executive uh, from a financial services company is going to be given at a conference is subject to compliance review. And that process can be time consuming. Essentially, you will have someone, let's say, in marketing, create the content. And afterwards, that gets submitted to a compliance team for review. And there's a lot out of back and forth. So the idea behind Safer was really fairly simple. It's like, could we create a spell check for compliance so that people who don't have the compliance background who are creating that content, they can have uh, uh, a way in which, that, in which they can get suggestions in terms of how to say things in a compliant way. They could have a way where uh, the model could suggest disclosures given the content that's being written. And so that's what Safer is. Yeah, Val, that's really helpful. You know, as I think about my own roles and working in technology with our marketing groups, I can see the efficiencies that you would get. You know, we had the whole e-review process and everything. And the more you can speed that up, automate it, 
uh, be able to find patterns and things of that nature, I think would be really helpful. So for all the companies out there that are in a heavily regulated business, uh, would agree that saving time you know, is of benefit to them. Can you take us back to the beginning? You mentioned before about trying to come up with some ideas of things that you could bring to market. And just talk to us a little bit about that time frame. I started at Fidelity roughly around end of first quarter of 2020, so really right before the pandemic started. As a matter of fact, I had been at uh, Fidelity for about three days uh, before we all started to shelter in place and working from home. And so it was very hard to get to know my colleagues being new to the firm uh, around that time. So as we were uh, thinking about uh, Safer and we were thinking about what are some of the ideas, what are some of the things that we could build? One of the considerations was uh, the fact that, okay, if we're going to build this, we're going to have to hire a team over Zoom and uh, the whole project needed to come together over Zoom. The fact that the company uh, Fidelity has in place uh, the uh, technology infrastructure that made that happen. You know, I talked earlier in terms of uh, some of the data infrastructure. Uh, I would say that some of the technology infrastructure that exists at the firm to allow you to build things fairly quickly in a startup mode, when everyone on the Safer team were essentially hired over Zoom, I had not met uh, my CTO for the first year of the company, uh, uh, as a matter of fact. And so that's all testament to the uh, technology infrastructure that we have in the firm that made all of that possible. And so that time during the pandemic and having you start here, you know, was just a different a, a different place in time, I, I, I take it. Um, so as you've all moved forward and released, um, release capabilities to the marketplace. Are you seeing impact in the industry? Are you seeing further interest? Um, how's that all going? Yeah, I, I would say that uh, the response from the industry has been tremendous. Uh, I think that uh, we've been at market since uh, January uh, 2022, so not even uh, at market for two years. And the response has been tremendous, both in terms of client, uh, client acquisition as well as uh, the ARR that we've been able to capture within, uh, let's call it uh, that uh, 22 month period. But moreover, I think one of the more interesting use cases that's come about is the fact that very early on, we were uh, thinking about large language models, but it really wasn't until uh, really over the past year or so, once uh, OpenAI released ChatGPT, that uh, the general public became aware of the capabilities around these large language models. But one of the more interesting elements is the fact that it's very hard to get these large language models to produce compliant content or content that is consistent with the rules that you have in, in financial services. And so um, what we've started doing and what some of our clients are doing is really taking safer and wrapping that around their large language models in a way in which the output of these models are compliant. And so whether you are using it as a way to generate content, let's say to write a blog or to write an article that needs to be compliant, uh, by wrapping safer around uh, that large language model, the output can be made compliant. Whereas if you take the model out of the box by itself, uh, it's very difficult and we've tried. <laughs> it's very, very difficult to make those models compliant. 
whether or not you're using it as a chatbot that's going to be answering customer questions, uh, for example, uh, there's the same application, the need for you to make uh, the output be compliant. And so the application of Safer in those use cases is one of the more fascinating aspects of a lot of implementations over the, fa- the past year. Really helpful. And so as I think then about the technology itself, right? So part of our, you know what our audience um, really enjoys hearing about from our guests is what are technologists, you know, what are you thinking about when you hire technologists and what are your technologists able to work on, think about problems to solve and uh, maybe just share a little bit there. Because uh, communication from companies and, fin- and regulated industries come in all shapes and sizes. So whether it's written content, whether it's videos, whether it's uh, you know, an image, for example, uh, we need to build capabilities that's able to operate across all of those modalities. Because someone, for example, might use uh, an influencer and post a video on social media. Well, the company still has an obligation to make sure that this is compliant. And the process of reviewing that video, for example, has a lot of elements to it, right? What sort of imagery is in the background of the video that could be non-compliant or it could be suggestive in some ways. And then the translation of that video in a financial services context. Uh, so for example, uh, financial services use a, a lot of jargon that's very specific to the industry that uh, a general translation uh, uh, capability may uh, not lead to the most accurate translation. And if you are going to run a model that's looking at the context, right? You need to make sure that uh, that translation is accurate from a financial services standpoint. And so we've built models that will do translation of uh, audio and video, taking into consideration the fact that there are uh, very specific term, uh, terms in financial services that might have different meanings, right? Another element of what we're working on is the fact that we work with uh, international companies that operate uh, across different uh, countries. And so the need for us to be able to not only correct the translation, but also to uh, do translation into other languages is a key element of what uh, OAI team works on as well. Um, and as I mentioned, to uh, images. And so we are able to look at an image and uh, really uh, provide an indication whether or not this is something that would meet uh, with financial services uh, regulation, uh, regulatory rules. Uh, you know, a very simple case of that might be someone uh, might have a drawing or a picture of a money tree, right? Well, uh, any compliance officer would look at that and say, well, that is very suggestive, uh, right? Um, and so to be able to build image detection models that's able to look inside of a video and see if there's an image in the background that may be violative is a very, very, uh, of some compliance rule, uh, violative of some compliance rule is a very interesting problem and challenge. And so those are some of the things that the team uh, is working on. So this is all great. And we could do a whole series, <laughs> as I'm sure you already know, on the different types of roles. You know, is it predominantly data scientists? Um, or, you know, do you categorize the the positions differently, whether it's imagery or uh, anything else? Yeah, so we have a fairly uh, uh, diverse team, given what we do. I mean, I joke all the time that uh, we 
have enough compliance people in our organization to actually study compliance department. Uh, and one of the reasons for that is that, yes, when you work in AI, you can look at the accuracy of a model. You can look at the confusion matrix to understand, okay, is this model accurate or not? But uh, for us, uh, really, uh, a measure of how well we are doing is really to compare what a compliance subject matter expert would say versus what the model is saying. And so consequently, we don't put any of our models out until we've done that human in the loop testing where we provide a set of uh, data to a human expert who's in compliance, they'll review it without telling them what the model has come up with. And then we sort of like provide that, the same data to the model, and then we do a comparison, a blind study, if you will, to the comparison to say, okay, are we in fact catching the things that a, an expert would catch? And so consequently, our team is very diverse. So we have data scientists that focus on uh, large language models. We have data scientists that uh, focus on image detection models. We have data scientists that focus on sort of like uh, videos and how you actually uh, uh, process those. And then we have a, a technology organization, engineering organization, because everything that we build needs to scale. Um, and then we have uh, really uh, uh, the compliance function. And then as is typical with most uh, technology companies, we have sales and marketing and those other functions as well. Uh, but from a technology standpoint, it's primarily data scientists who work with our engineering team. And then we essentially have the compliance team that sort of like sits over that to make sure that anything that comes out is ready for use by the industry. I definitely could talk all day about this, and I'm sure you could too, um, because this has been really interesting. What we'd like to do is pivot a little bit and talk about your journey into technology, because as we learned about your background, Val, there are so many interesting aspects to it. And I think as as our audience you know, looks at their own careers and interests aren't linear, um, I think it's really helpful when people get to hear of different backgrounds and, and the ways in which people have come into technology uh, positions in firms. So I'd uh, love to hear something from you here. Sure. So, I mean, uh, I like to say that I came into technology uh, completely by uh, accident. I actually was studying uh, mechanical engineering and uh, mathematical uh, economics, or back then what used to be called econometrics, uh, if you will. And uh, I had this one economic professor at Syracuse who, who told me that uh, well, if you can solve a linear set of equations, that there are these things on Wall Street called derivatives, and uh, that's where a lot of the hiring is happening uh, uh, in, in the industry. And so the, I was very fascinated by that. My original plan was to be a mechanical engineer and actually build rocket ships. Uh, I was very interested in in, uh, in space exploration. And so it so happens that I ended up getting an interview with the Bank of New York and I started working uh, essentially uh, in banking. And I really enjoyed it. I really loved what I was doing. When I was working there, my supervisor, we had this one uh, problem where well, every quarter we were trying to forecast uh, what revenue for the division was going to be. And they were using an old accounting method, uh, if you will, to do that. And so uh, my boss at the time said, well, you have uh, a 
background in regression analysis, can you build a model to try and see if you can forecast, do a slightly better job at forecasting. So the long and short of it is that I ended up building uh, a regression model. Um, and the first uh, few quarters that we ran it, we were essentially, that model uh, had about a 10% error rate, which uh, you, know, you might ask, well, what's great about that? Considering the fact that the accounting model was usually off by 30% or more. So everyone thought, uh, everyone thought that we had done uh, a, fairly, a fairly good job. And so that's where I really started seeing really the uh, interaction between technology and building systems and also uh, some of the things that I was interested in thinking about. And, uh, and so from there, I started getting more interested in uh, technology and risk management. How do you actually build quantitative models in a scalable way. Uh, and then through that, I ended up leaving uh, banking for a little bit and working as a consultant. And through that, we had built some IP that a uh, software company ended up buying and they wanted to build a risk management platform out of the IP that we had come up with. Uh, and so through that process, uh, I ended up working for that company. We built the platform and the CEO of the company at the time asked me, to run sales and to run uh, marketing. And so through that process, then I got into sales and marketing. And from there, uh, prior to coming to Fidelity, I worked on uh, four different uh, startups. Some of them were very successful. Some of them were not. That's uh, that's the life uh, of an entrepreneur and a technologist, I guess. Uh, but yes, uh, and so ever since then, uh, ever since I built that initial model, I've always had this fascination in terms of building things, trying to solve uh, business problems. Yeah, it's such a great story and a great journey. Thanks for sharing. And I always think about that curiosity that people have is that you don't, you can't always see the future and the kinds of things, but you know what you're good at, systems thinking, analytical, Again, curiosity, and I think that can take you many, many places. So thank you. And so if we bring it back to Fidelity Labs again, just to walk back through, what drew you here? Um, I think as we talk with the audience, they they come to understand, you know, uh, that we have our lines of business, right? Whether it's personal investing, workplace investing, you know, and and other companies. And then there's these units that we have that really are our innovative arm. Um, not that innovate, you know, there's innovation in other areas, but driving change there. And let's let's just talk about talk about that again, just to reinforce that. And then I'd like to move to something, you know, more fun and talk about you, your background a little bit more. Yes. So as I mentioned before, so the lab is really an incubator, and so we come up with ideas, and we go out to the market, we speak with people, uh, we try those ideas to see, okay. Do those ideas make sense? Do they not make sense? And so a lot of the initial work that we do is really uh, thinking through a set of problems, uh, either Fidelity is trying to address or that we know that the industry as a whole is trying to address, and then trying to think through uh, how can we put a solution together as quickly as possible uh, that addresses that need. And so consequently, the teams uh, within labs, they tend to be fairly small. Uh, so similar to, uh, you know, four or five people getting together and creating uh, a new company, let's say, for example. Um, and so we do a lot of design thinking initially around, okay, what does the solution should look like? What problem are we really trying to solve? 
is this really something that can evolve into a product or is this a feature uh, that we are trying to build? So we, we ask a lot of questions uh, around uh, really trying to get a handle on the problem before we actually write a single line of code. And then at that point, when we think that we have something and we've done uh, enough research, um, then we uh, engage with uh, really a designer to say, okay, now what should this thing look like? And then we do a lot of A-B type testing around that. So it's really this idea of starting with very small teams who get very excited about the problem that they are trying to solve and who work on trying to get an MVP one out within six months uh, or definitely less than a year so that we can validate whether or not the uh, original thesis makes uh, any sense. So behind what you're saying, you know, I'm hearing all the things uh, through the thread of this interview around um, curiosity, that systems thinking, innovation doesn't have to be big, thinking about problems and opportunities to potentially to solve. And um, it's, it's really been helpful to hear about this. So, so thank you. Thank you for that. What I'd love to do whenever we do these podcasts, Val, is really get to know the people that we're talking to. So what we'd like to, in your case, is talk about, um, we understand your childhood was unique. And so it would be great if you'd be willing to share a couple of things about that. Yeah. And, and so uh, one of the things that, all, all, uh, you know, that comes up about me quite a bit is that people uh, usually have a hard time placing my accent. And uh, that's primarily because of the fact that I grew up uh, all over the place, so to speak, all over the world, uh, if you will. And so from that perspective, I think that uh, my childhood was uh, somewhat unique in terms of, uh, you know, being in the Caribbean, being in Europe, uh, being in uh, Africa and other places. And so through that uh, process, I got to learn a lot about different cultures, uh, about different people, how, how you know, how you uh, comport yourself uh, differently based on where you are, but still staying true to some core uh, beliefs and ideas. And so through that process, uh, I ended up uh, going to high school in Florida, uh, ultimately, and then from Florida to Syracuse and from Syracuse to uh, NYU, where I got my master's. Uh, and then from there, I started working uh, on Wall Street. Wow. Um, so, so thank you for sharing. It's uh, it's really, it's great. It makes you human. You are human, and uh, getting getting to hear about that is uh, is really nice. Was there any favorite place, any favorite place in your background where you lived? I, I would say, interestingly enough, Miami Beach. Uh, okay, I mean, well, people, you know, Miami yes, Beach uh, is great. Yeah, and so I think uh, at that time. Um, I mean, to see how that city has transformed over time, yeah. uh, over the last uh, 25, 30 years uh, has been um, just incredible. And to have seen it all unfold uh, right before my eyes, I think that's that's been, um, uh, certainly was very exciting. So Val, thank you so much. So one, for your time, two, for sharing, you know, both your technology career, as well as, you know, personal aspects of yourself, um, bringing it all together. I want to thank our audience as always for, you know, listening in and getting to hear about people in Fidelity. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us for Tech on Deck. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you haven't yet, please give us a five-star rating and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast from. 
thank you to our listeners and recording studio and editors who make our episodes possible. To learn more about tech opportunities, head over to tech.fidelitycareers.com. See you next time.